Hey everyone, welcome to episode 20 of the Brosane Detroit Pistons podcast. I'm Carl Rosane. I'm Alex Rosane. And uh, we're recording on a beautiful fall day, uh, two days before our first game of the season. So we thought it'd be a great time to give kind of a comprehensive review of the Pistons and getting you ready to watch the season with excitement and some background this year. Uh, and also make our predictions for how many wins we're going to have, uh, what key questions you might be looking for as the season unfolds to know whether or not we might make it to the playoffs. And finally, we'll take a look at how our roster is coming together for some of the long-term vision of Van Gundy. Uh, but first, uh, maybe it's worth quickly reviewing. Alex, how, how have the Pistons looked in the last, say, five years, six years? Uh, not going to lie, it's been pretty bad. We, we had an epic six-year run of reaching the conference finals and uh, having a, re- reaching the finals twice and, reaching, and winning a championship uh, you know, around about 10 years ago. And then we had, um, you know, we, we were just sort of equally bad. Uh, it was six straight years of uh, not making the playoffs. I think it, someone mentioned it's like three or four straight years of being in the bottom half of the league in both offense and defense. Um, now uh, we've had a few, cha- a few tries at rebooting our team by signing free agents um, that got Joe Dumars fired. Um, and uh, we've finally worked our way through all those contracts and shed everybody uh, who, who we tried to build our hopes on in the past other than Andre Drummond. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think our, our losing streak, our six year streak of not making the playoffs is the longest streak in all of the Eastern conference. I think there's like two teams in the West that are even worse, like uh, Timberwolves and, the Suns are the two franchises in all, all but 30 teams that haven't have had a longer drought than us. So it's, it's pretty grim. Um, but I think last year, before last year, when Van Gundy joined, there was some renewed excitement. Uh, and uh, quickly reviewing last year, we had we kicked off the season very disappointingly with a 5-23 and 23 start, uh, and we dropped Josh Smith and had that 12-5 and five streak where Brandon Jennings was playing the best basketball of his career. We were in the top five in net rating uh, among all teams. Uh, And then right then, I remember, I think it would be fun to look back at what episode that was. We were like, practically may as well have had Kelly Clarkson's a moment like this playing in the background. We were falling over (laughs) ourselves in excitement. It was like just long enough of a streak that we were really excited and we were like creeping up into the the playoff hunt. And then Jennings uh, Torres ACL. His, his uh, Achilles. Oh, his Achilles. Even, yeah. even worse. Even worse, yeah. Uh, and, and we proceeded to go uh, five, uh, five and seven, kind of treading water. Uh, and then we made the big trade for Reggie Jackson. Uh, and at that point, we went even. We were even worse. We went two and ten. Uh, and it was. I think there's a ten game losing streak in there, and it was just miserable. Um, and then once Monroe got injured for a little while, we went seven and five, and, and then finished up the season two and two with Monroe there. So, you know, looking back at last season, I would say it was really disappointing, but we, we had a chance to stabilize around Reggie Jackson and perhaps see a little bit uh, how we're a little bit better fit without having two big men. And, of course, in the offseason, we, uh, we lost Monroe and replaced him with a, a better fit for Van Gundy's vision. Yeah, and, and not, not only did we uh, just sort of look and squint and see that things were a little better under Reggie Jackson. We have pretty much bet the farm on Reggie Jackson. We signed him to, was it a max contract or a near max contract? We signed him to the, this massive contract. 
that um, essentially no one but Reggie Jackson and Stan Van Gundy thought he was his market value. Um, it was just sort of a, well, he's worth close to this, and a, I guess we're just, it's, it's we're just going to keep him, we're, I guess we're just going to keep him happy um, and, and have him show up really inspired that we really made a commitment to him. And, yeah, it's a, a five-year, $80 million contract, which is not quite max, but it's, you know, it's, I don't know, close. Yeah, and the the word max uh, means something different now than it has in past years because there's a uh, the collective bargaining agreement between the league and the players involves splitting up TV revenue, and there's new TV contracts coming online. And so in the next couple of years, the, the salary cap is going to be jumping by an unusually large amount for each of the next two years. So what is a max contract now will be kind of a – you know, just above average contract a couple a couple years from now, so it's it's um it's not like we gave him Michael Jordan money. It, it it's this weird situation where you're the first couple years of that contract are really expensive, and the last year of that contract is not expensive at all. Um, so that's what makes it defensible. But it, it's it, it's just this really strange strange thing. Nevertheless, basically all commentators around the league looked at that contract and thought. Well, no, no one else would assign him to that. Who were they competing against? But and then Van Gundy basically just said, "Look, he's our guy. We wanted to make damn sure we got him. Uh, he's worth it." Uh, he, and he also so that's going to be a signature move. And and this this reminds me of, you know, uh, Joe Dumars got himself fired after a, a long successful run by having two sets of uh, free agencies go where he signed guys to a big contract. And in fact. When he signed Josh Smith and Brandon Jennings to big contracts, he signed them to basically the exact contracts that all the, you know, smart commentators were saying he was approximately worth. Anyway, we finally cleared the decks. Um, long-term contracts are risky because they can screw your team for a while. And we Van Gundy finally got some time where he could shape the team in the, in the image he wants. And one result of that is he's now made a big bet on, on Reggie Jackson being the guy to make everything click. Yeah, and one thing I will say about the comparison with what Joe Dumars did is that there, that, there was a there was a um, by signing both it, it was um, Jennings and Josh Smith, but we also signed um, Charlie Villanueva and Ben Gordon, and so there was a lot of semi-disastrous contracts all at yep. once. And in fact, we ended up having to lose a first-round pick. That's the reason why we didn't get to use our lottery pick last year was because we had to give that away to get rid of Ben Gordon. Yeah. So uh, making making one bet, it feels a little bit more like you're dipping your toes in there. Uh, and, and as it turns out, like we really needed a point guard. So if Reggie Jackson can turn out to be an average starting point guard, this will turn out to be just fine. I mean, it, I hope he's a little bit above average, but but – but you're right. If we hit average starting point guard, that would be better than we did in the last couple of free agencies. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's exactly right. In fact, Dumars had kind of two and a half cracks at rebuilding on the fly. He had the trade Chauncey Billups for Allen Iverson one. And that's the year that Allen Iverson went from being great to being bad. And then he had the, the first full rebuild, Villanueva and Ben Gordon. All the free agents we wanted were signed, and, and those were the guys who were left. And Everyone pretty much thought, like, oh, well, those contracts are a little rich, but at least those guys are good players. And then Men Gordon immediately went from being pretty good to being bad. Villanueva is always Villanueva. Um, and, and then we did the Josh Smith, Brandon Jennings. And, you know, those 
guys are both decent players in the right role, but we just we couldn't use them, and, and it was kind of still just kind of a disaster. Um, and, and so we got some good draft picks. We drafted Monroe and Drummond, and um, so now here we are with a team built in a in a from from a Jeff from a Stan Van Gundy blueprint, our pick and roll uh, with a point guard and center built around Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. And then we got a couple of young wings that are looking pretty, like a pretty good part of our core for the future. Contavious Caldwell Pope, aka KCP, that shooting guard, and uh, Stanley Johnson, who's a rookie this year at point guard, looking great in the preseason. Uh, you, sh- you should never bank on a rookie making a big contribution his his rookie year, but he looks like a long term fit as well. So um, I've been saying it every year, but this year uh, perhaps with more feeling that you know this is probably the year to get in on the ground floor. I do feel like last year was we had a new coach and a, and a new GM, so it was just like, hey, something's different. We can hope something will change. Uh, now we've had a year to actually Van Gundy's had a chance to to really mold the team a little bit more into the team he wants, the way he wants the team to fit together. So some of the things he's done have really been towards that. Last year we almost sometimes looked more dynamic with Monroe. Uh, when we when we were playing Tolliver instead of Monroe, uh, and that was be, even though Monroe's a, like a much better player, uh, yep. Tolliver's a, a, more of a stretch four. So by getting Ilyasova from the Bucks, it's like a, as you said before, he's like a rich man's Tolliver. So now we have both those positions are always set up to be uh, stretching out the floor. Uh, and last year, I was actually watching the the Pistons preview on NBA TV last night, and they had a little stats segment, um, and they had mentioned that. I, something I didn't, I had looked at, but the net, the net rating, like when Drummond and Jackson were on the court together, we don't have a lot. The thing is, we don't have a lot of data about that. We had maybe like 20 games last year when with Jackson on the team, uh, but uh, when, when with Drummond and Jackson together, uh, kind of our two franchise players right now, uh, when Monroe was on the court, we had a net rating of minus 12, and then when Monroe was off the court, we had a net rating of plus 15. Uh, and it Whoa! Was actually, yeah, it was surprising. I was like, wow, I got to write that down. So, um, and. Although, and, and, and just to, just to remind people, net rating means the the average points scored minus average points allowed per what hundred possessions or something like that, or yeah. so per yeah. So it's it it's your sort of average scoring margin, controlling for a few things, and it's like it's really a, the best measure of of kind of how how good you are, I would say. And yeah, and so we were two and ten. With Reggie Jack, when, when Reggie Jackson first joined, we went seven and five. Once Monroe got injured, so part of that is probably a little bit unfair. A lot of that is piling some blame on Monroe for like just stinking as we were getting our bearings with the new roster. But the bottom line is, uh, we, once it was the the trio that's more uh, that's more like our current roster, we actually had a really solid net rating. Uh, so that was, and that's one of those things that small data you're cherry picking. But if you're a if you're a Pistons fan, that's something to hold on to going into the season. It gives you a glimmer, and and, and it, it just shows um, the thinking or some evidence behind the philosophy we've gone into this offseason with, which is let's get parts that fit together. You know, it's a it's a real talent-driven league, and, and it's very common and true to say you, you really don't have any chance at all to win a title unless you have one, at least one, preferably two or three, elite players and um but then around that you you really got to have the pieces fit together and you kind of see that with the spurs where they can take guys who have a 
a couple of key skills and they'll put them into a role where they can suddenly really excel. And that's what we've done here where we got rid of all of the guys who play power forward who cannot hit a jump shot. And we, and we got guys who can stretch the floor. The importance of that, of course, being that they're not having to stand near the basket to be useful and, and they're, the, our spacing is much better and, and so forth. And, and, and so it really, we're, we're just really banking on the, uh, the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. Um, so, so let's just look at all the additions and subtractions and, and we can see they all go towards that philosophy. We get rid of Greg Monroe, who is playing out of position at power forward. People think he's a center. Um, basically using him uh, in, in Van Gundy's offense is a little bit like using, you know, trying to go around a racetrack in a Ford F-150 um, as opposed to, or like using a Ferrari to haul a trailer. Like it's just great vehicle for a different role. And then we got Ersan Ilyasova. And, and we'll have Anthony Tolliver. So those are two guys who are going to play most of the minutes at power forward who can shoot threes, um, but still rebound and defend well enough. Um, and and, and uh, we got a, a, a better backup center, Aaron Baines, uh, who, who was a backup for the Spurs. He's a good offensive rebounder and a big body, but he can actually hit a jump shot and, and pass the ball, um, unlike uh, the, our previous backup, Joel Anthony, who will still be on the roster. And and then we've added a couple of uh, so that so that's the really the role fits along with building around Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond, and then we just tried to add more young talent on the wings with uh, Marcus Morris and Stanley Johnson who are, you know, will fit fit in just fine as long as they can defend and hit an open three. Well, I mean, and, and Stanley Johnson, I think maybe the perhaps the most exciting thing we could say about him for this year is that he could be a solid backup three, and that's that's more than you could account on for many rookies. Yep. Uh, I think that's right. I mean, you you hope that for a lottery pick, but when you pick a guy like him, I think he just played one year at Arizona, right? And yeah, yeah. Um, so he's 19 years old. I mean, he, he if he ever makes an All Star team, chances are it'll be like four or five years from now. Maybe maybe as close as three, maybe as long as six. You know, it. it you, so it just shows you, um, you know, even if a guy looks like he's going to have a good career. The right now factor is not often there. Yeah, a couple more things that come to mind with Johnson though is one, the fact that we actually didn't ha- that we had to use our lottery pick this year instead of last year, I think worked out in our favor. Uh, the, 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 this draft was super strong. I think if we had take, used our draft pick last year, we might have gotten like Nick Stauskas or, so, or someone like that who we would have been excited about as Michigan fans, but it turns out he hasn't proven to be a particularly potent NBA player yet. I'm still, yeah, I mean, I'm still rooting for him, but he didn't look very good last year. Yeah, I mean, he's still, you know, got he's got decent height and he has an NBA skill, which is which is shooting. But at this point, based on how, how Stauskas has done, it's not off the table that he could be out of the league in a couple of years. And um, you know, it's, I yeah, it's still he, there's hope for him if he gets in the right role and et cetera. But yeah, I think uh, we're looking much better with Stanley Johnson than uh, someone like that. Another person you mentioned, just to talk about Ilya Sova a little bit, he, a couple years ago, you know, like three three years ago and four years ago, he was like 45% from three, you know, just lights out, uh, or at least for, as, for our team, that would be amazing, lights out kind of shooter. Uh, and, then the, and then the last two years prior to joining us, he had kind of injuries and didn't play very well and 
uh, shot like 28% from three two years ago and was back up to 39% last year. Uh, but uh, it, so a big question to me is, is that trend kind of returning back to his 40% plus three-point shooting self, or is he going to be a little bit shakier? Uh, certainly just his the way he plays is a better fit for us, but can he actually be really good for us? or that, That's something I'll be looking out for. Yeah, I mean, he's just been inconsistent, and I, I really just don't know what to say about uh, players who have their shooting percentage go up and down from season to season. It's really just kind of a mystery because that's not one of those things that really depends a lot on athleticism unless they're shooting more contested shots or something because they can't get a shot off. But I, I just don't know what to say about that. I mean, he, he's had some injury problems. I think he had some ankle injuries. I think he had a, a, a concussion that lingered for a while one of those years. Um, but sometimes players just are good every other year. I remember his, his countryman, Hito Turkoglu, another uh, Turkish NBA player who's probably out of the league this year. Um, he was just a good player every other year, and he was a bad player every other year. And um, maybe that's just random or luck or injuries, or maybe he just, after he had a good season, he just took the summer off and partied hard. And then after he had a bad season, he got his shit together. Um, who knows? I, I don't know. I don't get the sense that there's anything like that going on with Ilyasova. It's just really kind of a mystery, but he's got adequate size for his position. He has a, he has that skill. He's always been a, a pretty good rebounder, even though he's not that athletic. He is has always been good at drawing charges on defense, even though he can't jump high and block shots. So as long as he doesn't have injury problems, I, I see no reason why he shouldn't fit in great. With, with, our, with our offense being based around Jackson attacking the basket, Drummond attacking the basket, um, Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Stanley Johnson and Jody Meeks and so forth coming off picks. And, and uh, you know, Ilyasova should be getting a fair amount of open looks to shoot jump shots. Um, and he's, so he, he's really in a position to succeed. Yeah. We didn't sign him to some massive contract or something. I believe his contract is up after this year. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to remind myself of that. But I, I so he, he wasn't. More, it's not quite a contract year. I think next year is, is a contract okay. Year. So, so it's just this year and next year, and he's not. He's not at an age where he's like where we worry about him having a big drop off uh, from being old. I think he's in his late twenties, you know, which is fine typically for a guy in his position who doesn't rely on athleticism. So, you know, it checks checks all the boxes for him being in a position to succeed, and he really has the right skills for the role he is put in in Van Gundy's offense. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about what is Van Gundy's vision. I mean, was it the 09 magic that he took to the Eastern Conference finals? Or no, to the finals. To the finals, yeah. And, and, and people draw parallels between the combo of Jameer Nelson and Dwight Howard would be like Reggie Jackson and Drummond. And then, yeah. and actually Turgaloo would be Ilyasova. Uh, and I'm not sure if Tur- was Turkoglu a three or a, two, a four. Well, Turkoglu was um, the height of a power forward, but he was um, more of a secondary ball handler. He, you know, um, they actually ended up using him with pick and rolls with Howard at the end of game. So, you know, Nelson and Turkoglu kind of melded together, or what we're hoping from 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 Jackson. Um, so the parallels aren't perfect, but the vision is still the same, which is you want to have a pick and roll based attack on offense with a deadly finisher in the middle. I mean, of course, what got the magic to the finals is um, Dwight Howard per- basically alone personally turned them into a great defense by being a, an absolute beast. 
we've talked about many times that Drummond has the physical tools to have similar performance. He's a little bigger than Howard, probably a little less explosive, but he's just gigantic and athletic. Uh, so, you, but it, team defense is one of those things where you, you really just can't make a spreadsheet to figure out what, what's going to happen. And that's basically my only move. So, <laughs> uh, for figuring stuff out. So, um, coaching really matters. Scheme really matters. And you, you see teams improve on defense just by having a consistent scheme that fits the personnel. And we, I think we just have to hope that both our young players start to have it click in their minds what they're supposed to do and the, that the coaching vision comes together on that. That's one of the ways where we could be better than some of the predictions that just look at you know player production and make a spreadsheet kind of thing. Yeah, and if you look at our roster and our depth chart versus last year, it looks a lot more promising for just having the right athletic sized folks in every position uh last year you know having kyle singler he, he, he's not going to be very strong on defense uh brandon jennings is our starting point guard and having dj augustine as our backup that's a that's sort of undersized reggie jackson should be a stronger defender kcp has the tools to be a good defender uh Ilyasova, uh I, I don't know that much about him but i know like he's capable of playing pretty good defense when he tries hard uh, and a team concept yeah he's yeah. not an individual blockbuster but he, he he's been fine in a team concept before he's and, a veteran and, and one question is uh how much drummond can improve on defense this year he ha- he certainly has the he's an he's a a complete freak of nature in terms of his size and and quickness and lateral quickness and jumping ability and block sh- shot blocking ability but he, as you pointed out last year we weren't actually better at defense with him on the floor than even without him on the floor so it hasn't really come to fruition yet but it certainly you can imagine uh, you could imagine him making strides to be more like Dwight Howard in that strength, or say, um, who's the guy from the Clippers again? Uh, oh, DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan. Um, well, De- DeAndre Jordan's an interesting case because you know he, I think, led the league in rebounding and had a ton of block shots, and has all these highlight blocks that go into the fourth row of the stands. But then if you look at the on-court, off-court stuff he actually was not among the league's top defenders. And so it was really one of those things where old school basketball guys, scouts and stuff, you know, would look at that and say, I mean, he should definitely be defensive player of the year. And his coach was talking that up. But then analytics people would say, well, look, their their team is actually not that much better on defense with him on the floor than off. So, you know, what's up with that? So um, I, I would like to see Andre Drummond be better than DeAndre Jordan, even if he doesn't reach the block shot totals that that he does he should reach the rebounding totals because he's just a a natural born killer on on rebounding it just both his size and his instincts he's he's already one of the best offensive rebounders in in league history and if you have those skills you should be able to do that on the defensive glass as well um so why don't we talk about some of the um the predictions that other other pundits have made just to see like you know what are we looking at here what what are the where, where's the the smart money right now on what kind of season we're going to have? Sure, so yeah. last last year we had 32 wins out of 82, um, and you you know you 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 probably need to have about 41 to 44 wins to make sure you're in the playoffs. So that was pretty bad last year. Yeah, and, and it looks like right right now, uh, and, and we were projected last year to be better than that. We were projected to be in the maybe mid to high 30s. And then this year, it looks like people are projecting us to be 
anywhere from like 33, 34, as high as 38 wins. Uh, but no one's no one's really. Ex- we're, we're pretty much considered to be in the ninth or 10th spot in the East pretty solidly by most people. Yeah. Yeah. The, the folks, I, a lot of folks I respect, you know, have us in the mid thirties and then the Las Vegas line right now is you know, 33 and a half wins for us this year. And gosh, that's really disappointing. That, that shows that people, people with money on the line are putting zero value on our, all of our happy talk about, Oh, look, the parts all fit together. And, Sure, we didn't upgrade our talent in our starting lineup, but the the parts fit together and our bench is better, and blah, blah, blah. I, I guess people are just looking at it like, hey, do you have two all-stars or not? And if the answer is no, then forget it. Yeah, um, and, and of course, maybe just the fan in me is a lot of times when I hear people talk about the Pistons, they're not, they, they don't do a very sophisticated analysis. Like one guy was saying, uh, the, the other NBA writer on Grantland that's not Zach Lowe, um, made a joke about how the like he was saying like so who to buy and who to sell in the NBA and he was saying sell the Pistons uh, in terms of like you know who's hot and who's whose stock would you sell and he made a quip like the Pistons are like if the Clippers had DeAndre Jordan and nobody else or something like that and and that just doesn't show very much understanding of what we're doing at all as a team it's sort of just like oh, the Pistons suck and that's fine but but if you look at our team uh, and and the, and who who we've put together. If you if you simply like one of my favorite uh, kind of predictions, or just when I was look, looking around at different methodologies for calculating, is this guy Andrew Johnson from Nylon Calculus uh, had has a has a pretty sophisticated way that actually takes into account uh, not not just play, plus minus but player tracking plus minus, which is like the last couple of years there's more data available from all these fancy cameras that are tracking everybody's moves and you're able to track things like uh, passing efficiency that goes beyond the assist, direct assist. It has like hockey assists and free throw assists. And, um, and he also okay. took into account rookies based on that model. You told me about uh, the uh, Kevin Farragans RPM rookie model uh, for, for college players. Um, and he was trying to project the, the amount of playing time per player and taking that to yield the estimated team plus minus uh, and actually looked at every matchup of, through the year of every team and just like added things up and, and ran through the numbers to get his projections. And he had us with 38 wins. Nice. I mean, the, that's good because 38 wins is uh, what I come, come up with with my own much, much less sophisticated uh, back of the envelope spreadsheet that has no player tracking data whatsoever in it. Um, but just, just thinking about player production last year, um, yeah, and he was he was saying that it's been interesting that for the most part, it, like the the additional data just tracks very heavily with the less sophisticated data. So, actually, to tell me a little bit about that model that you used. I, I really I look at um, the offensive win score and the defensive win or win shares and defensive win shares. The the offensive one I I trust as a a decent measure of how how well an individual plays his role and how much he contributes that looks at that offensive rating metric that we talked about a lot and thinks about their usage you know how many possessions did you use how efficiently did you use them the defensive win shares oh i'm sorry and then it translates it to how many wins should that translate to if you if everybody in the league had that and and you know half a team's wins by definition are 
um, accounted for by their offense because you play to both ends of the floor. The defensive win shares, since there are really no good um, individual metrics for for defense, there's defensive rebounds, which gives you credit for good defense you're perhaps a teammate played and resulted in a missed shot. There's steals and blocks, which are can be good if you take good risks and steal the ball and can be really bad if you get one steal, but for every one steal you get, you let your man blow by you four times because you took a reckless gamble. And so that basically is like, were you on the floor when your team played good defense and then tweaked up and down a little bit based on steals, blocks, and rebounds? So it's kind of a weak measure. But anyway, I look at both of those per minute played. I I make it my, my own educated guess about how much each player is going to play this year based on what I know about the depth chart. And then I just give everybody a bump up or a bump down by a few percentage points in their production based on whether they're young at their prime or old and on the decline, you know, just sort of a modest adjustment, you know, more symbolic than anything else. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, I came up with 38 wins doing that. Cool. Yeah. Well, what's interesting to me about both what your analysis and his is that that's simply like a sum of the parts analysis. And and he, he mentioned in, in the end of his post that he, he, he still is punting on taking into taking fit into account, but he does think that there's promise in, uh, trying to estimate the spacing uh, of a team in terms of having three-point shooters or whether or not you have good rim protection. Uh, but he says he still hasn't trying to take that into account. So, of course, that, that, that yields some wiggle room for us hopeful Pistons fans that, hey, what we're doing this year is all about fit. So if merely adding up the sum of our, of our roster gives us 38 wins and we think that having really good fit and a, and a, and a kind of more of a deadly offense – uh, with pick and roll, then we could we actually could get up there just past 40 wins and be in the hunt for the eighth seed uh, or better in the, in the East. Yeah, we've, we've talked in the last couple episodes, and I won't re- recap at length, about the reasons why we think we could be better than the sum of the parts. And it basically comes down to all that stuff we've been saying. Our offense, every player on our roster is geared towards contributing usefully in a specific role on that offense. And that really hasn't been true in the past where we just assembled a bunch of talent and, and then we could either the coaches couldn't, or it was impossible to um, have a system that took advantage of all their talents at the same time. And then on defense, I mean, there's some continuity um, with, with players getting older and playing and playing for the same coach a couple of years in a row. And um, the system can really matter. You know, having coaches have to make decisions like, when the other team runs a pick and roll, are you going to aggressively have your big man run out and try, try to chase the ball handler, or are you going to have him back up into the lane and so forth? You could, you know, Jack Lowe is constantly writing, you know, twenty thousand word articles with lots of ten second video clips breaking that stuff down. And so I feel like I understand, you know, that that category of knowledge exists. I can't explain it to anybody, and I don't understand it myself. But so, so there, there's those intangibles that could really be upsides, and there's you, some of our competitors in the East. I think we would have to have um, Milwaukee, Charlotte, and uh, you know maybe Toronto do significantly worse than expected um, for, for us to, to get in. And and there's a story you can tell about each one about why they wouldn't do as well. You know Charlotte just had one of their really great defensive wings who they picked second in the draft a few years ago, um, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, um, is a small forward. He just tore something terrible in his shoulder and is out for the year. Um, and they, you know, they got Nick Batum, the small forward from Portland in the offseason who had a bad year last year and 
they're expecting him to come back and be good, but maybe he just sucks now like he did last year. Um, They have Al Jefferson in a contract year at the center, which is good, but but he's also kind of old and plays a style of play which fits better in 1998 than it does in 2015. Um, which is pass the ball, pass him the ball, and he does fancy post moves and or, and tries to score. And so that you know, and then Toronto, they had a really disappointing season last year, and they kind of collapsed towards the end of the year. Their star player Kyle Lowry just came in in great shape and has looked good in the preseason. But they signed Atlanta Hawk Damari Carroll um, as their big offseason signing, and they want to play him at power forward. But he's a small forward size. You know, he could get hurt. He could get worn down. He could not fit very well in that role on a full-time basis. There's a lot of risks there. And then just quickly, you know, Milwaukee, last time uh, last time we mentioned, they've really assembled a lot of talent, including poaching one of our most talented players, Greg Monroe. But they're, they have taken a step back on their big calling card the last couple of years, which is excellent defense there. I think they were second best in the league at defense last year. And, and actually, and, after they trade, after they traded uh, MCW, they got a lot worse. They were like they were really awesome for the first half of the season, and, and that kind of lingered on for their overall record. But they're they're not looking that great recently. Exactly, they got Michael Carter Williams for for Brandon Knight, and you know maybe that was wise, maybe it wasn't. And he's a he's a um, a versatile defender, but he can't shoot the ball. They have their um, first pick, uh, first round pick that was picked very highly a couple years ago, Jabari Parker, who only played like 20 games and then tore his ACL. He's coming back. Well, he's basically having a rookie season and probably won't contribute that much. He's a good on offense, terrible on defense kind of guy, and the kind of guy who you're not sure if he should be playing power forward or small forward because he's kind of a tweener, and and on and on and on. So you know they they. Greg Monroe uh, is an okay team defender, so maybe he'll fit into that scheme, but he's not a rim protector. So they have taken the opposite tack where they have assembled a bunch of talent and they have a bunch of up and coming young guys. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo is this six foot 11, the Greek freak, they call him, where he's just an incredible athlete and everyone's very high on him, but he hasn't actually produced very much yet as an NBA, in his NBA career. So people are always, people who say we're going to miss the playoffs always put them in the playoffs. Um, ahead of us, but you know there, there are really no guarantees there. There's a lot of speculation, so I'm not really saying I can guarantee that all these other teams will be worse than us. But you have to be able to tell a story for how it's possible they could they could uh, be worse than expected, because there are only eight playoff seeded uh, playoff spots, and it really is a zero sum game. Like if you're not one of those eight, you're you're out. So you have to figure out how you're going to jump ahead of one of the other teams. Yeah, we're going to have to be better than. Milwaukee, and uh, at least three of Miami, Indiana, Charlotte, Toronto, or right. Bo- or, or Boston, and and people are really uh, high on Boston this year, like, projecting to get like 49 wins. Uh, they 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 played really well towards the second half of the season after they traded for Isaiah Thomas, and people some people think that David Lee could be a really good pick and roll fit with Isaiah Thomas. Uh, so I mean, before I was kind of I mean, just the Celtics have sucked so bad of late that I kind of ham-handedly dismissed them. But I, I don't think that was very smart. They're probably not going to be one of the teams we can count on being better than. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, when you look at the NBA, teams are really good, you know. I mean, you can look at – if you look yeah. at your own roster, you're like, oh, we have all this talent, but so does everybody else. And um, even in the East, uh, which is so much uh, 
I mean, if we were in the West, it'd be completely hopeless. But even in the East, it's, it's not. There's no easy path to uh, being in those top eight seeds. Uh, we, we just. Have, I think part of it is that we have to take control of our own destiny. Like uh, in terms of the promise of being able to have a coach make changes that give you good fit. Even just last year, just by simply getting rid of uh, Josh Smith, we had a we had a, a, a really strong stretch there with the same people. Like we had kind of made a lemonade out of lemons. Uh, and we were like beating really good teams on the road like in the West and stuff. So it's, it, we can't sit, sit around and like hope a bunch of other teams start to suck. I mean, we're gonna have to become a lot better. The, you're right. The, absolutely. We, there, so there's reason to think we could be better than projected on paper. And there's reasons to think that some of the other teams, at least one or two of the other teams that would need to stumble for us to get in, that, that could happen because they actually have to be good too to make the playoffs. Um, yeah, Boston, you know, they, they have a, uh, an assemblage of talent. They don't, they have a coach that everyone's super excited about, Brad Stevens, who came, I believe, from Butler before, who, you know, seemed to do a really good job and Boston did better than expected. So everyone's very high on him. Um, but maybe, or maybe I was mostly, I listened to Bill Simmons a lot and he's a Boston homer. So maybe I'm getting a biased source on that. But they, you know, they have a couple of all their guards. Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley can't shoot that well. They've got like six power forwards and centers, and they need to work out a rotation there. Uh, Bill Simmons had a little uh, Twitter contest to see what, what nickname should their three uh, white power forwards and centers have, uh, Kelly Olenek, David Lee, and Tyler Zeller. And he came up with Trace Leches, which is, <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh pretty hard. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm glad he's back on the air. It's fun to listen it is, yeah. Uh, we'll see how his HBO show works out, but um, it, it, I'm glad his podcast is back. Um, so, uh, you, you know, so we we can. There's enough on the table where we can talk ourselves into we we're in the hunt for a playoff spot this year, and um, it'll just be really interesting. I think by the All Star break or by uh, the first third of the season, we'll know. Like, okay, does it look like we got something here on offense or, or not? And you know, I, and I don't know if there's any potential for us to like make a move halfway through the season or something. You know, I don't know if we have any attractive contracts where we could get a, a guy who fits better or whatever. But uh, for example, uh, Marcus Morris's brother, twin brother, Markeith Morris. Marcus Morris is our new guy from Phoenix, who's our slated to be our starting small forward. His twin brother, uh, Markeith Morris, is unhappy in, on his old team in Phoenix, uh, and he's on a reasonable contract, and he would probably be a like a, a slight upgrade from Ilyasova in, in every way, as long as you get him to play the right role. I mean, I don't know. That's that's not exactly going to get me shouting from the rooftops. But, like, who, you know, we could make some adjustments and the story could change midway through the season. But, you know, we, we've got a solid roster up and down. We, we're all pulling in the same direction. Uh, I'm just anxious to, to see the, the season actually start. I want to see some basketball rather than uh, we've had been having so many months of, of just speculation. Yeah. yeah. So well, let's go on the record. I mean, why don't we do two things? Uh, one, like if you actually had to put money on how many wins we're going to get, and so it doesn't matter about what we hope. It's like what actually happens. Uh, well, let's do that number, and then let's do kind of like a maybe, let's say, 90% confidence interval range of what, what could happen if things go bad and if and what's our upside. Um, yep. I'll start. Uh, I mean, I actually think that I would go on the record. I actually think that winning 
38. I think 38 is fair for us for our expected wins, um, which is sort of sad, but remind us that that's still quite a bit better than than last year. Uh, and I think you know that that's when you balance out what could go wrong, what could go well. I think that's fair. Um, I think I would put our range between. 35. I would be extremely surprised if we won fewer than 35 wins. I actually, I think taking the over on the Vegas, like I would, I would put money on that. Um, uh, and I, so I'd be, I'd be actually really surprised if we won like 34 or less. And I would put us, our upside as high as uh, 45, 46 wins. And if we won more than that, I would be extremely surprised and extremely happy. Like if, if this becomes like our Rick Carlisle bust out 50 win year kind of thing. Like I'm not expecting that. And I, I, I'm, I'm actually hesitant to even hope that, but I'm, I'm actually pretty confident in hoping for 45, up to 45 wins. And then that would put us solidly in the seventh or eighth seed. Uh, and that'd be really exciting. So that, that's kind of what I would, what I would say at this point. Okay. Well, I, I think that those are, that's a solid prediction. I, I'm with you. I think that the, the Vegas line, people just are complete, are completely ignoring the facts and they have no idea what they're talking about. There, there's just no way you get to, you know, 34 wins is a is a positive bet. You know, yeah. It, yeah. The line of 33 and a half is ridiculous. So, um, uh, I don't really gamble, so I'm not going to actually put money on it. But I would put money uh, uh, on the over for that Vegas thing. Uh, yeah, I would I would say that my my middle my midpoint estimate here, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with uh, 39. Um, just because, um, you know, my spreadsheet says 38 and then there's the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. We could make a move halfway through the season, uh, type of thing. Um, I would be surprised if we got a, went above 44 wins. That would mean that, um, someone took a big leap bigger than expected. Reggie Jackson is, is everything he thinks he is. Uh, Andre Drummond makes a leap. Which really could happen one of these years. He could just like get significantly better rather than incrementally. Um, and then on the bottom side, we we could win 32 games again if um, if there's a major injury. If yeah, Trump... I, I wasn't I wasn't talking about injuries. I mean that that obviously. So barring a major injury, what what do you think? What what would be like the low beyond point? Mm. Really surprised if we had. Okay, barring major injury, I don't think we go below 35. Okay. Uh, so uh, so I'm going 35 in the low end. Uh, 44 on the top end and 39 as my mid estimate. That, that's that's asymmetrical, but uh, that's okay. That's that's how I feel. That's just okay, how I feel. so, so I, yeah, so you're a little bit more hopeful than me on the on the expected, but I'm a little bit more hopeful on the upside. Uh, why don't we just quickly pose some questions for what could actually influence where we land on that spectrum? Uh, I think one of the first ones we, we've talked a lot about the new players in the team. And I think we need to come back and talk about. Actually, I'll start. I'll start with Reggie Jackson. Uh, I think yep. one key question is, can he shoot threes well enough to be a threat uh, on the high pick and roll? Because our whole offense is going to be Andre Drummond runs up, sets a pick for him, and uh, and then that causes some disruption. They start moving towards the rim together, and he has a bunch of options: either drive to the rim himself, give an alley oop to Drummond, kick it out to Eliasova, or to any of our other average three-point shooters. And um, and that's our offense. But if if the if, if his defender just says, "Hey, I'm going to completely duck under the pick at the at the high pick and roll and just let you shoot a wide open three if you want to," and he can't make enough for that to be a threat, that that really that really hurts our offense. And then I think I think Zach Lowe brought that up 
in particular when he was had Stan Van Gundy on his podcast in the off season. Uh, and there are some signs that you know he was he was reaching towards the high 30s uh, on, on three point percentage, uh, having been way worse than that previous in his career. So I don't know. That's one. one that's what. That's the first question I have. I think that actually is the key question for our offense. And if if the answer is a good one for us on that, we could actually end up having like a top ten offense in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that might sound crazy. Uh, I think Zach Lowe, he, one of his 35 crazy predictions for the year on Grantland.com was that the Pistons will have an above-average offense. <laughs> but, but I mean, you, you could see us just having an absolutely deadly offense for stretches of, the, of games if we get into a rhythm and, and have things working right. And against, particularly against teams who have no answer for throwing the ball up and Andre Drummond dunks on them. Not every, That won't work on every team, but... You know, having a top ten offense means it works on most of the teams. Um, so that, so I completely agree with you that that's really the key question on offense. For me, uh, a question on on defense is is to see um, can we see uh, Drummond making a, a leap from being well, he's a young player to really being a, a young veteran to where he knows what he's doing and he's anchoring the defense properly. Um, it, it just it just makes such a huge difference what you can see. Roy Hibbert and Andrew Bogut doing to to their defense, where you know they're in the, a similar size to Drummond. I think Bogut or Hibbert's taller, but Drummond has freakishly long arms. If you're standing in a place where it's very inconvenient for you, the other team, you, you can make it really hard to score. And if you're not, if you're like jumping out of the out of the camera frame because some guy pump faked mm-hmm. um, or, or something, then it, it's just really bad. It's just crucial. So we. We could have an above-average defense if if uh, Drummond makes the leap mentally, and if um, Reggie Jackson lives up to his potential as a above-average defender. Having that upgrade from uh, Brandon Jennings being uh, went from embarrassingly horrendous before Van Gundy got here to be to trying a little bit and, and below average when he was here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, those are two po- really key defensive positions where we could up, we could upgrade, and then Contavious Caldwell Pope on the wing is it has always been uh, had the makings of a good defender and and will have one more year of experience under his belt. So you could you, you can squint your eyes and you can see a scenario where we jump up you know five to eight spots in the defensive rankings to being from just below average to pretty good. And that will be absolutely necessary for us to scratch the hot top end of our range. So my, my, my question is really, like, does our team defense really come together in a way that would, would allow uh, Stan Van Gundy to, to be earning every penny of his, uh, his very high salary as president and coach? Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, Drummond just being and, – and, like, as you just mentioned, just Drummond knowing how to be a smart defender because – I think you can you can find clips that I remember just seeing last year of him kind of like looking a little bit confused or just missing a rotation and and them getting a dunk and if that just doesn't happen anymore and uh, so yeah some some things we'll be looking for also are just like his opposing the, the opposing field goal percentage at the rim uh, uh, when he's when he's on the floor and things like that and our actual defense being better when he's on the floor. Um, speaking of Drummond, another kind of key question to me is like how big a leap can he make? Also. Offensively, I mean, second half of the year he was already looking much stronger. He went from 
being like a 12 and 13 kind of guy with 50% field goal percentage to 16 points and almost 15 rebounds with almost 54% field goal percentage. But if you look, that's still like a 105 offensive rating, which is not super. It's not good. Not great. And and given his offensive style, a 53% field goal percentage is not impressive. I mean, he he should be shooting like 60, 70%. Like he should be dunking. Yeah. Or, or or not or or like getting offensive rebound putbacks like. He, well, that comparison to DeAndre Jordan earlier is apt. I mean, they they play a, a similar role on offense, and DeAndre Jordan, he it wasn't metaphorical. He literally shot seventy percent from the floor last year. Now he has one of the greatest point guards in NBA history, yeah, Chris Paul, uh, passing the ball, and he has one of the greatest um, passing power forwards in NBA history. He's not one of the greatest power forwards, period, but he's one of the greatest passing ones in Blake Griffin with him. So, you know, uh, Andre doesn't have that going for him. And he maybe he does a little bit more of uh, playing uh, a tip drill, getting his offensive rebounds. He'll have five offensive rebounds and four missed shots uh, <laughs> on a possession. And, and whatever, we, we score at the end of that, so that's fine. Um, you know, we, we experimented a little bit with passing it to him in the post and having him try to do little jump hooks and stuff. Um, I, I don't expect that to be an important part of our offense this year, and if it is, I, I don't have high hopes because that's just a low-percentage shot. But Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. last year he showed signs. I think that's why he almost took a step back for, at, the beginning, at the beginning of the season, at least, in his uh, offensive efficiency because of that. And I'm just not sure he's really the, the kind of guy who's going to be a great post-up player. Uh, certainly it wouldn't hurt, um, but, again, I think our offense is all about him just be like – uh, being a threat on the pick and roll to dunk it, and just to be, just to continue to be an amazing offensive rebounder, because uh, that's also a really key thing about, uh, you know, when you kick it out to, to shooters as one of your options, and they're t- and they're taking a three. If you have a guy who's going to scoop up the offensive rebounds, uh, it just it just helps so much. Well, with with team offenses being as a, as uh, complicated and um, system driven as they are now, you a guy does not have to be an individual all-star level offensive player in order to be absolutely crucial to a good offense. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, look at Dallas Mavericks last year. For the first half of the year before they made some midseason moves, they had the number one offense in the league. And it was basically around Tyson Chandler playing the Andre Drummond role in pick and rolls. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, it, and then, you know, talk about stretch power forwards. Dirk Nowitzki is one of the greatest power forwards of all time, one of the greatest shooters of all time, and he is, you know, out there. He's also happens to be one of the greatest wide open three point shooters in uh, in, in history. He just like always makes it when he's open. So um, they just did pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll with you know Monte Ellis and JJ Barea and all these like mediocre small guards and 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 Tyson Chandler, who's not known as an incredible offensive player, he was just so deadly in that role that their whole offense keyed off of it and did well. That's really the the upside for us. Even if Drummond even if Drummond doesn't make an all star team, he could still be the key to us having a top ten offense in the league. Absolutely. And that's yeah, I that's really I hadn't thought about the parallel with uh, at Dallas. Um so and another person that comes to mind is KCP uh I think he has a lot of promise, but he still wasn't that great last year. Um, but one one kind of split 
for him is the road versus home. We talked about this a lot, but on on the road last year, he was 28% three-point shooter and a 41% effective field goal percentage. And that, that's just not good for your shooting guard. At home, though, he, he shot 39% from three and had a 54% effective field goal percentage. And that, that tells you that when he's not nervous or, I mean, maybe there's going to be a little bit of a variation there, but that's a crazy variation. So... I- Part of I just our, have no idea what to do with that information because it's it's a very high, it's a decently high sample size for both. It's like you play forty one games on the home each home in the road. So, I mean, I don't I, I don't know if that can that could possibly be random. He but also, he also had very high volume three point shot shooting. So the fact that he could potentially do that for as many threes as he took. Uh, it wasn't just like noise in the fact that he didn't take very many threes. I mean, he was up there. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, and, and maybe it's something more complicated. Like we were usually losing on the road, so he was trying to press and make up for it and, and took more ill-advised shots. I mean, this is where us not having our hands on the, the sport view data where we know what was he expected to shoot given the types of shots he took. You know, like if you take a contested shot, it can be a good shot if your team needs you to take that if it's the end of the shot clock and nothing else panned out. Or it can be a bad shot if you take a contested shot five seconds into the shot clock, um, which is what you know the likes of uh, Russell Westbrook of Oklahoma City uh, take flack for doing. So we, it, I just have no idea what to do with that, and, and at least it gives us a little room room for for hope. If he can play all season like he did at home, he goes from being bad with potential to uh, pretty good. So, uh, yeah, and, and right, that's another key question. And in terms of spreading the floor out, I mean, you pretty much need you need every defender to need to want to stay near the guys who are spread out. And if any single one of our starters uh, is becomes unreliable enough, then that that really hurts the whole premise. Um, so that's uh, KCP is another person. Um, we talked about Ilyasova. Uh, so I think that that covers a lot of. The- I mean, we. We, we haven't talked about Marcus Morris, but I, I think, you know, frankly, you know, he play, he's played his whole career thus far for a team that was in the Pacific time zone that didn't make the playoffs and never played on TNT, a.k.a. the Phoenix Suns. So I actually just don't know what it looks like when he plays other than, the, than these few preseason games. And so that it's not really one of the crucial keys to our team, I think, like these other things, but I'm actually one of the most curious about just seeing, like, what does it look like to see him play 10 games? What does he play like? Um, he's he's um, kind of burly for a small forward. He's So he should be able to be physical. And, you know, like uh, Kevin Durant and LeBron James shouldn't be able to post him up as easily as they do other small forwards. But I don't know. Is he quick enough to stay in front of uh, some of the other slashing small forwards in the league? Um, what's his decision-making like? Can he pass well? I you know, I can read scouting reports on that, and it sounds like he's, like, basically this weird player who's, like, completely mediocre in every facet of the game all across the board. Um, not and, great at anything, not bad at anything. Maybe that'll do it. He's signed to a cheap contract, but that's one position where we could make a move in the, in the middle of the season and upgrade, or maybe he's just holding the position down for when Stanley Johnson develops. I mean, but I'm, I'm curious about him. Do you, do you know whether or not that he... I have the impression that he's an upgrade over, say, Kyle Singler. Uh, but does that, do you think that's true? I mean, especially on defense. I have the impression that he's an upgrade over Kyle Singler on defense. Kyle Singler was, was um, 
you know, he had trouble getting his NBA career going until he started signed with us because he's the size of a small forward, but the quickness of a power forward. And which means he gets brutalized by both positions on defense. And he, he went into a, uh, um, a situation in Oklahoma city when we traded him last year in the Reggie Jackson trade, where it was tailor made for him to come in and get a lot of minutes on the, as a wing player. Um, you know, he's not really a shooting guard, but he could, he could get minutes there. And, he just really didn't play very well and can't stay on the floor because of his defense. And it was surprisingly bad now. So I just get the feeling that like on offense, um, Morris probably hits open shots about the same amount and, uh, maybe not as good of a like team, you know, passing, you know, move the ball around type of guy, but I actually don't know. And that's what I'm curious to see. He should be better on defense because at least, one of those two things. He he might be as slow as Singler. I don't know because he's kind of big, but he's at least not going to get bullied and and posted up on and stuff. Yeah, um, and he was a he was a starting NBA player in the Western Conference. Uh, Kyle Singler, after joining the Thunder, is not a starting NBA player. So I mean that's that's one data point. I mean I, I always kind of felt like Singler tried hard, played the right way, uh, you know, accepted his role, which is why I think he ended up winning the starting position last year. But that wasn't like a great sign, I don't think, given his kind of talent. Um, another, another thing I think is that's interesting is I just feel a lot better about our bench this year. I mean, we got Brandon Jennings, who uh, if he comes back at 90% of his, himself from last year, it could be kind of a luxury to have at uh, as a backup point guard. Uh, Jody Meeks kind of had an offseason. He, he battled injuries last year, but if he could come back and play like he did for the Lakers before he joined us, uh, he, he could be a very good three-point shooter. Uh, could make a difference. Stanley Johnson, uh, just the fact that we could see him play every night as a backup. Uh, it could be we have a really deep team that actually has a pretty solid second lineup. Um, another thing that comes to mind is the versatility in playing different sized lineups given some of our roster. I mean, it could be that we decide to play Reggie Jackson with Brandon Jennings uh, and, and go small and, and put Stanley Johnson at at the four, for example, he's big enough to try to do that. Uh, we could see we could see ourselves going small against. Um, yeah, and, and that that really comes into play when you have a crucial game that you want to win, and you can really either react to the way the other team has set its lineup, or you can make them change what they want to do by putting personnel on the floor that they have to make an adjustment to by going bigger or smaller. Um, you can force the issue a little bit, and that that's important for playoff teams to to have. You know, it's basically like you have a few different pitches. So if you have a, a key situation and you get a fastball hitter come up, you can throw some off speed stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, that's not going to make a plus or minus five wins difference, but it can it can have one important win, uh, uh, or it, it can it's just a different look you can put at people, and you and whoever's got it rolling that night. I'm talking about Brandon Jennings actually. He's definitely one of the more talented guys on our team, but he's one of the few guys who's going to get a lot of playing time when he comes back who does not fit very well with our scheme. Um, he fit, he probably would fit better as a shooting guard with us than as a point guard because he's not really a naturally great pick-and-roll guy. And if that's our philosophy and we're going to live and die by that, um, it always struck me that Jennings could play well, but then like Will Bynum would come in and he wouldn't be as good overall as Jennings, but Drummond would get a lot, get like three dunks on alley oops that he on pick and rolls that he didn't get with Jennings. And so there's a question of fit, I think, with Jennings. Jennings in the last year of his contract, 
if he plays well, maybe he's a guy who uh, a playoff team might want to get to have be a heat check off the bench or something like that. I just feel like he's talented, but he, he doesn't fit with our offense, and he's one of our worst defenders who's going to get a, a lot of playing time. Um, I'll, so I'll also just be very interested to see what happens with him. Well, also, I mean, if, if he's not playing with Andre Drummond when he's coming off the bench, he's playing with Baines, maybe the, the, that offensive strategy is just different for the second for the second um, lineup. But um, all right, well, we, we've covered a lot for this year, this season, and I don't know, Alex, do you feel like it's, it's worth taking some time right now to look ahead at, at our kind of salary cap situation, or do you think we've uh, we've got enough going for this. It was to save a little juice for the next episode. Well, I th- I think it's it's fair to say that we're excited about this year, and this is the first time we've had the uh, something like the Van Gundy vision reflected in our roster. But this is not as good as it's ever going to get. We're we're starting with this as a foundation. Most of our best players are actually young and before their peak. Reggie Jackson's at his career peak, but Caldwell Pope. Stanley Johnson, Andre Drummond, all could get better for several years. And we have some salary cap room going forward. My back of the envelope guess is that we'll have something like $25 million in cap space next year. Now, there's like 20 teams in the league that have max caps room available and probably only like three guys who deserve it. So, you know, don't go out and uh, buy your season tickets thinking we're going to sign Kevin Durant or something. But we 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 have several more moves to make and much a lot of potential for internal growth so that's what's so exciting is like we're a borderline playoff team in the hunt for a playoff team this year and we've we're basically on step 1 of the path to success um, we were you know chasing our tail at step 0 for 5 years um, but we're finally on step 1 here we have a young core and cap room a roster that is internally consistent with our philosophy and strong leadership. So I, I'd say that's as much as I I think we should get into about our future. But, you know, I'm excited about this year, but this year is not, you know, the best it's ever going to get either. Yeah, we haven't just made a lot of sacrifices or traded first-round draft picks to get our current roster at making a strike this year. We're, we're, we're at a very solid roster situation and, and to have all our draft picks. And um, All right, well, on that note, why don't we call this a wrap? Uh, if you've made it this far, you are likely one of our somewhere between, I don't know, 20 to 30 listeners, I estimate, right now. So if you if you want to take a chance to write us write a review on iTunes or tell your friends about it, uh, please do. It'll make a difference. And Yeah, it, we, we post the episodes on Reddit. Uh, tell us what you think uh, when we do that. You're, we're, you, we'll, we'll read all the comments we get. All right, thanks, everyone. See ya. We'll check back in when we actually have seen this, this team play together.